down in Petersburg, everything's fine. All lamb cats is drinking that wine, drinking that mess is their delight. When he gets drunk, start singing all night, drinking wine's for the yodel, drink wine. Wine's for the yodel, drink wine. Wine's for the yodel, drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Drinking that mess is their delight. When he gets drunk, start fighting all night. Knock down windows and tan down door. Drinking half gallons and calling for more. Drinking wine's for the yodel, drink wine. Wine's for the yodel, drink wine. Welcome to Tasting Anarchy, the special episode with our second ever guest. As you'll notice as the show goes on, the absent Mason today, I, Jacob Lindsay, am joined by the notorious, well that makes him sound bad, but the <laughs> legendary, the legendary Nathan Tupitza. Or uh, Classic Nate. Classic Nate, as he's been known, <laughs> and as uh, Mason and I have mentioned several times on the show as being the godfather of introducing us to wine. Uh, so how are you, Nate? I'm doing fantastic. Got myself some uh, some Save All Blanc sitting next to me. It's good. Keep, I... Keeping me nice and uh, lubricated. How, how is it? Tastes good? It is good. Um, it's actually by Rappahannock Cellars in Virginia. Um, I actually get a wine shipment from them every quarter, um, mostly because they actually have whites that I like. Okay, okay. Well, that's good. Like, like you, I'm more of a red drinker. Right. Well, you're you got me introduced to the red, and now uh, that I've been drinking with Mason a lot, and he's more of a white. Um, I kind of realized there are several whites that I like lately. Uh, Sauvignon Blanc mm-hmm. and um, very dry Riesling have been have, <laughs> oh, yeah. have been my uh, my white wines uh, tonight. I've got. It's called Olma. It's a 2016 vintage. Uh, it's made by. Uh, um, Amiki Cellars, which I guess Amiki means friend in either Italian or French or one of those Romance languages. Uh, Olma means um, coyote in the California Native American language, I guess. And that's what it says, at least on their website. Uh, it's a Pinot Noir, as you know. we said. like I like the darker ones. Uh, Pinot Noir. Actually, I think Mason and I talked about Pinot Noir either last episode or the episode before. And I don't know if you knew this or not. That, uh, you know, this is a show about wine mostly, but we also talk a lot about politics stuff. And, uh, I thought this was kind of an interesting tidbit is that Pinot Noir, the varietal was developed in Germany, but the region of Germany that it was developed in had a rule of doing like that. And he was so offended by the taste of Pinot Noir that he outlawed it. And that is, yeah. So he made it illegal for people to grow Pinot Noir grapes and they, you know, they moved. And it was actually a very popular wine with poor people in that part of Germany. But so the grapes were moved to France where it became the Pinot Noir we know now. So this particular Pinot Noir, Alma, uh, it's from Sonoma County. It's 14.2% alcohol by volume. And just to remind everybody, the U.S. Uh, labeling laws state that you can either be 1% above or 1% below the alcohol by volume that you put on the label. And um, so this could be between 13.2 and 15. I'm going to guess just by the way that it tastes that it is on the lower end of that. So probably in the high 13s. Um, Mm. I can't really tell that well. I don't have a super refined palate. Uh, but I do know that if it's got a lot of alcohol, it's just, it usually is overpowering to me and it's not my favorite thing. Their website describes this as, uh, opens with aromas of rich cherry, wild strawberry, and lingon. I'm not sure what a lingonberry is. Lingonberry fruit? I'm not sure what that is. Yeah. So ling, 
L-I-N-G-O-N, lingonberry. I'm not sure what that is. Um, oh, it uh, kind of looks like those uh, poison berries that your mom tells you not to eat on those bushes outside. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I'm not sure what those taste like, but, uh, oh, you know, looking it up, it looks like it maybe is kind of tart, like a cranberry. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, it complements. It's complemented by notes of baking spice and subtle hints of mushroom. Uh, the palate is full of youthful vigor with ripe red and black fruits and sumptuous textures uh, through its long finish. Uh, I, I, the, the smells, I think I'm still kind of developing the ability to smell a lot of these things. The taste, I think that's a pretty accurate taste. Uh, it says it's sumptuous textures. It is a full-bodied one uh so it's got that very heavy mouth feel it's a little bit more tannic than pinot noir is normally in my experience but i oh. i don't drink a huge amount of pinot noir it's usually cabs and it's much less tannic than uh cabs it's a good, yeah it's the good. pinot pinots i i had uh, i find that like the low-grade pinots just take taste like soap to me like they got this interesting flavor that i just really don't care for but okay. um yeah, some of the, the nicer Pinots you, I can start enjoying. Yeah. Um, it's personally not my favorite red, okay. but it is, um, you know, every once in a while I'll pull out a good Pinot and I, I can actually really enjoy it. This one was uh, a 1999 a bottle um, at Total Wine, but uh, if you buy six bottles of wine at Total Wine, you get 20% off. So I purchased this and, and five other bottles of different types of wine um and got 20 percent off so it ended up being 18 dollars for this for this particular um bottle of wine the some of the other ones were less or more you know it just depended uh something interesting about i, I mean you i don't think actually we've even released the episode but i i don't expect that you heard it even if we did um <laughs> mason for my birthday last year bought a bottle of a wine called pino p-i-n-o-t hmm. it was a cabernet sauvignon and it was one of the best bottles of cab I've ever had. And it was the first time where both Mason and I, when we were drinking it, we kind of went, oh, like now I'm starting to understand what some of the people are saying about like the complexity of flavors and stuff here. Right. Because it was each each of the flavors was uh, kind of like a distinct, like, the, like they were, it wasn't just like a mishmash of like, oh, this tastes like red wine. It was kind of like, oh, I do get, that hint of, you know, blackberry. Oh, I do see that, that like overripe plum, like that kind of thing where like people are always like, well, this tastes like the grass that was grown <laughs> on the East Hill and was plucked at noon. And you're like, well, I don't know what that tastes years like. years ago. Yeah. And aged and then dried in a cellar. Right. But like the, the base ones where it's like, this is like baking, this is like mushroom, this is like, you know, these things, those things I understand. I know what those flavors are. And this was the first one where it wasn't just like a mash of red wine flavors. Like, oh, I do, I taste that. So it was, it was a really interesting. This wine is not quite as complex and interesting as that one, but it's a good, it's a good sipping wine for the price. When I find it particularly in the reds, you know, getting getting it red that's been, you know, that's not within the last two years makes a big difference too. Yeah. Um, I, I think that it pulls out those flavors a little bit more because mm. up until then you're getting a little bit more acidity, um, okay. even from those reds, uh, letting them sit for a little bit, you know, you can really start pulling those flavors out oh, kind of a like, little bit easier, it, a little bit more. Let it mellow out robust. for a while, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Now that, uh, this line of questioning brings me or line of thought, I guess, brings me to my questions for you is as the listeners have heard, you are a, relatively knowledgeable wine person and where did you get that knowledge nate <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Well, uh, I actually originally got I, I first of all, I my mom would drink wine every night at the dinner table and um, she would she would offer me all the time. And I, I just could not imagine how people could drink that stuff. Mm. I, I was absolutely disgusted. Um, I then spent six months in South Africa with uh, my, where my uncle lives. And all of a sudden wine just became like, oh, this is good. Yeah. What have I been missing out? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, I, I gained. I started getting my base knowledge there. But then um, after college, I ended up working at a winery and um, Barrel Oak up in Virginia, um, and that's kind of where I started harvesting most of my my knowledge. Listening to the owner, listening to the mm-hmm. to the, the winemakers, and everybody. Um, that's kind of where things really started kicking off. Right. Honestly, a lot of it I almost got just from reading our tasting menu. <laughs> oh, okay. Because <laughs> they would describe a lot of the flavors, and uh, you know, kind of it takes a little bit to start understanding what they mean by some of those because it's not going to be you know if you, you get hints of blackberry, it's not like you're going out and eating a blackberry and like oh yeah, yeah that's that flavor. Right. Um, you know, the the flavors are much more complex, and you kind of have to. It's just the best way to describe certain. Uh, Right, certain flavor profiles. Well, what I and like what I've been experiencing now that like we that Mason and I have been trying a lot of these is that it's it's not so much that it tastes like that. It's it's more that like it brings up the memory of that. So Mm. like so uh, like one of the flavors that I think is yeast, but I don't know that uh, I've been describing with a lot of the Rieslings that Mason brings, or or not the Rieslings, the Pinot Grigios that he's been, okay. that he brings up is, uh, I keep saying, oh, it's farmy, it's farmy, it's farmy. And then we had one that, that it pointed out this flavor that it said it's uh, the flavor of cut green hay. And, mm-hmm. and that was the flavor. So it was like, oh yes. Okay. Because it reminded me of a farm and, and that, and you know, the smell of hay, you know, it didn't smell like, you know, cow manure or, you know, you know, <laughs> dirty goat or whatever, but it did have, there was some smell that was in it that reminded me of a farm. And so right. I, I kept describing it as this farminess. And then finally, I think it was, it was this cut grass or cut hay flavor. So at the, um, what, what was it? What do you say the winery was called? Barrel Oak? Barrel Oak Winery. Barrel yes. Oak. And, that North, was, and that's in Northern Virginia? Northern Virginia out, uh, Closest to Del Plain, it's right outside of Warrington. Okay, um, it's about an hour south of DC. Um, we also had a lot of people from Arlington come out. Um, well, what was your job? What was your job there exactly? You were you were like a the oh, like a wine deliverer guy, or you were a waiter, or just a hand around the the winery? So I was I was one of the um, wine associates that actually poured the wine for people, did tastings. Um, now I I also did numerous other jobs. Um, a lot of the times when you work at a winery, um, a lot of the actual tastings happen on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And so uh, most, a majority of people who actually work at a winery will come out, will only work on the weekend and they typically have a second job during the week. Um, I was lucky enough and I guess a good enough worker <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be able to work during the week. And um, during the week, it's a lot more inventory, um, cleaning. Okay you know, kind of maintenance and things like that. But then on the weekend, it was almost a hundred percent pouring. Okay. And, and when you worked there, did you get to like participate at all in like the winemaking or watch them do it? Or did they kind of introduce you to that side of it at all? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I would go down, you know, periodically, um, that's kind of one of the benefits at working at a winery is Uh the winemaker or the owner will essentially say, Hey, you know, we're kind of, we're, we're going to be working on the rosés, 
um, today, would you guys like to do like an initial tasting of what's going on so far? Or, you know, hey, you guys can come after work and come down to the cellar. We'll show you some things. Okay. Uh, and so that's the kind of, you know, if you want to get into and in, in more into wine, you know, work, picking up a weekend shift at a winery will really help you out and typically you can get a few free drinks out of it as well oh, that's pretty cool so is this because they're you know they're offering you all these free drinks is this kind of one of your experiences where you were able to you know try a bunch that you wouldn't normally get like a rosé for example like i wouldn't i would have never pictured myself trying a rosé other than you know i've gone to different events and they're giving away free wine and one of the wines is a rosé and i go eh, it's free so when you're right. when you're working at a winery, and I guess also some degree you want to know what you're talking about when you're pouring the wines for people and they ask you questions. Was yep. this was this a good opportunity? Do you think for you to expand your palate? And what did what kind of were you surprised by any? Um, I don't know if I was necessarily surprised by anything, but um, it definitely you know part of it is you'll you know the owner will sometimes come out and say, okay, this is you know this is a fresh release or especially as a new person um typically after like a day of the shift um all the open bottles of wine sometimes they'll they'll keep it for the next day but for the most part if um there's open bottles of wine we kind of gain access we can at least have a glass of it um at the end of the day and so you kind of start cycling through things on the menu that you wouldn't normally taste simply because you know you can you can try for free um and it, it did, it really did expand my palate. I didn't drink whites at all. I was just pure red. Okay. Um, but, you know, there were certain whites and stuff like that that came out that I did. Ooh, this, you know, this is kind of nice. You know, um, the one that I, the biggest in my memory and what I've, a grape that I've fallen in love with is Viognier. Okay. Um, I never even heard of Viognier. Um, a lot of you listening may not even heard of Viognier. Um, it's starting to get more popular in Virginia and some other places as well. But it is, uh, it's kind of got like a default oakiness to it. Okay. Um, if I drink a white, I like oak, you know, oak chardonnays. Okay. You know, reminisce it as 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 dry as possible to get me close to my reds. Right. Um, but the Viognier, just even if it's done in steel, still kind of has a little bit of that butteriness to it. Okay. And um, we actually had an oak Viognier, and that I just absolutely fell in love. Um, that's actually one of the one of the ones that I'm really excited to get from. Rappahannock in my shipments is uh, they have a Viognier that's really good. They also do a mixed Viognier Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. Uh, they then they even have I think one other type of Viognier that they have mixed with something else. That so it's like heaven for me. <laughs> okay. Well, so like for Viognier, for Viognier because I don't think I've I don't think I've ever had that unless it was in a blend or something. Um, uh, uh, what is it? What is it like? Is it is it kind of like a cab or is it is it uh, is it a white or a red grape varietal? It's it's a white grape, okay, and um, it's definitely closest to an oaked um, Chardonnay. Okay, and, uh, okay, so, but you weren't like a fan of Chardonnay before, like you said, you're more of like a red guy. But then you tried this, and you were like, "Oh, this is right. this is good." Yeah, I couldn't. I actually really even couldn't stand most Chardonnays because actually it's kind of uncommon to get oaked Chardonnays. Okay, um, a lot of places will typically do steel, and um, sometimes they will do oaked, but. Typically, the people drinking Chardonnays like that little bit sweeter, little tart. Yeah. Um, they don't really like the oakiness, so they kind of support that. Okay. Um, and I was never fa- – like I'm drinking a Save All Blanc now, but I would not have drinking it um, 10 years ago. Yeah. Because of that, you know, that grassy, um, that fresh cut um, tartness. Mm-hmm. I just didn't – I didn't care for it because it just, it just wasn't very appealing to me. Now, on – 
the one times that I would drink it would be when it was ice cold and it was, you know, 90 degrees outside. Yeah. Or yeah, something. That's definitely, that's, (laughs) yeah, that's definitely kind of where, like, I'm starting to learn a little bit about, like, the pleasures of a very, of a nice cold white, well, mostly Riesling or Pinot Gris, uh, is here in, here in Texas, like today, it was a high of 112 and it is hot. But it's a nice, but again, you know, to be cliche, it's a dry heat. Uh, at least dry compared to Virginia. Um, but, <laughs> <And Illinois>. uh, <laughs> well, probably, yeah, probably compared to Illinois too. Um, it's not as dry as it was in California, but, uh, you know, in the evening when it cools off to the, like the mid nineties, taking nice cold glass, of, uh, you know, of a, a nice cold Riesling out or Sauvignon Blanc mm. and then, you know, watching the biddies by the pool. Uh, <laughs> don't tell Victor, <laughs> but, but, you know, actually just going out there and just kind of like, you know, I don't have any friends in the area yet. So it's I, like a little go out there, around the people, dog. talk to the dog and then like, <laughs> and, and like, you know, just watch people by the creep. And, uh, so like, that's, that's definitely something I kind of appreciate. And, uh, I think that's interesting that you mentioned that cause that's definitely one of the things that has appealed lately about whites. It's a, it's not a, it's not a comforting wine to me, but it is definitely a refreshing. Right. Yeah. And that's a good description. I think like to me, a nice, you know, give me a nice heavy Merlot, give me some tannins. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm, if I need to be com- feel comfortable and like cozy in the house, you know, especially during the winter or something like that. Right. Uh, give me some dark tannin wines mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm happy. But yeah, if you need that refreshing, you know, little crispness, there's nothing you can't. Yeah. A, Mer- a chilled Merlot on a hot summer day just really doesn't have the no, same no. effect. Well, and also like the, the the chilled the chilled red wines just don't taste like any like they like them being like room temperature or maybe a little bit colder than room temperature uh, kind of opens up the flavors or it seems like it does to me anyways. Again, I think I think Mason and I in the show really put this caveat in the time or in all the time that like the the point of this show is for us to kind of like explore and try new wines and develop our palate. We are not experienced wine drinkers, but we're getting better at it. And, um, and that's why I think like the show is interesting. And, and it's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is because of the people I know, you're the most knowledgeable, I guess, wine drink, uh, having worked at a winery and having just, you know, been a wine guy. I mean, like even the first time, actually, we'll go into this a little bit because, uh, it was, it's on my question list anyways. But, uh, <laughs> you know, when we, when we first lived together, Actually, I could be mixing this up with the second time. So for the listeners, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Nate, Nate and I lived together two times in the same house. So, you know, we, we were both in college and, uh, and this is actually the first question, uh, that I had the actual first question, but it kind of the conversation flowed to the winery first. But, um, this is, you know, an anarchist libertarian podcast. And, uh, so you and I sat together in several classes at, uh, ECBI. Mm-hmm. when we were studying programming and I think you, you were studying video game programming and I was studying database. I, right. And, uh, and I, th- I, I don't remember if we had already decided that we were going to move into the Betsy Ross house or not, but I invited you to come to the libertarian meeting. Mm-hmm. Do you remember going to that the first time? Uh, I'm trying to remember the first time. And I, I mean, I could probably mix up the memories with the, the right. first couple times. Well, I guess uh, the, the question that I had is, do you not specifically, do you remember the first time, but like, what were your initial impressions? Like, going to a meeting with a group of libertarians like what like from like an outsider's perspective what was it (laughs) well at at first you know being being uh that everybody had a drink in front of them you know you get an initial uh opinion that you know at least you're you're feeling nice and comfortable um i personally am not very political i don't Mm. really watch the news i don't follow things Uh, i don't really get into too many debates with people but you know someone who walked in there i still felt very welcomed and you know even though I didn't really 
know half the time what people, the depth of what people were talking about, I still felt like, um, you know, I could participate in some of those conversations. And, um, you know, you, you definitely feel a little bit more open to kind of express your, your own opinions. And there's typically at least, you know, the, quite a few of us are really nice guys. And so I, you know that they, you know, they won't like jump on you and call you stupid and kick you out of the right, meeting or anything. Right. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, that's see, and that's what one of the things that I think is so funny because like that's sort of what I expected you to say is that like, oh, you know, I'm not that poor or anything. But but to both me and I'll speak here right now or not call right now, um, like. To him and me, you are the personification of freedom. Like, like at least, at least our perspective of you. Like, like you're the most free spirited person we know. And and I think part of it is that you don't care about politics. To me, definitely, and I think to a lesser extent, like anytime the government does something unjust, I take it as like an, right. a, a personal affront. Like, how dare they do this and limit my freedom? Whereas I think you're kind of like the embodiment of like the anarchist spirit, where you're just like, well, they're going to do what they're going to, and I'm going to continue what I'm going to be free in my own. Life. And yeah. Uh, and like, that's one of the things that like, we always really liked about you. It, it reminds me of kind of how, you know, during the last libertarian primary seat, uh, I really liked John Mac and it wasn't because John McAfee had the most knowledge about like, you know, Rothbard and Mises and all that sort of stuff, but he walked the walk and he talked the talk is he had the natural instinct of liberty. And that's kind of how you've always come off to me is that you're just a natural libertarian. You're not, you're not going and reading like all of the libertarian treatises and like citing them word for word and page by page. You're, you just have the instinct. You're just like, no, like I am like, and I don't even nearly need to think about it. I'm just a free person. So, and, right, and, right. and that's kind of like one of the reasons why I always felt like you fit in so well in those meetings was you didn't really want to argue that much with people. You did like having the talks and, and you did have really, and a lot of time, like in-depth conversations that went beyond the political, like, you know, libertarian as libertarianism as a philosophy larger than politics goes beyond that. It goes metaphysical oh, lifestyle. Yeah. Lifestyle philosophy. And like, you know, the way you treat other people, that sort of stuff. And, and it's a very diverse group. So you can talk religion and psychedelics, you know, <laughs> all sorts of different things. And, uh, and, and in those meetings you fit in so well. And I think you fit in so well because, you know, you're the personification of freedom. So you just, you just have, you're just a free spirit. And, uh, but that was, you know, that was, I just kind of wanted to go off on that like little tangent or whatever about like how you and I got together is, you know, we were in school together. I think then we started going to the libertarian meetings together. Mm -hmm. enjoyed it because you're a social guy. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then when my parents were going to move to Hawaii, I was like, Hey, uh, you live in an apartment, 10 guys. Why don't you, move, <laughs> why don't you move into a house with three bedrooms and one guy? So, uh, that, and that's kind of where in my memory, this is where the wine introduction started with the black box Cabernet. Oh yeah, shower wine. <laughs> <laughs> Which explain I to have, the listeners. I have drinking wine in the shower. I remember like laying on the on the brown couch because I think we, I bought those couches like two or three weeks after yeah, we were yeah. tired of sitting. And I was like laying on the couch, and you come out of the shower with a gigantic glass of red wine. <laughs> And uh, you just drinking in the shower? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Normal people don't do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. He's like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's my shower wine. <laughs> About twenty, yeah, not, right. Um, and box wine out there, but a good, you know, Merlot, typically a little sweeter than I like in the box. Mm -hmm. Um, as well as the Cab Sauv is definitely a little bit sweeter. I think they try to cater, but yeah, you know, for your for your average day where you're not, you know, you're kind of more drinking the wine to relax from the day, like you want to go out experience, you know, there's right. definitely certain evenings you might, me, I might go out with that and I want to, you know, I know that this is a good bottle of wine and I want to go out and experience it. I want to actually, I really want to, um, 
you know, every sip you're thinking about. Whereas some of those, some of the times, uh, you just kind of want to automatic wine and get through the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I know, I get it. You know, th- and that black box wine, like I still get those once in a while. They're liter black box. And that's, I think about, about four bottles, which equates to 20 glass wine for about 20 bucks. And it's, I, I wouldn't say it's, it's like, a steal or anything like that, but it's a good value for, especially the cab. I, I still drink the cab occasionally. Like if, if I don't want to have a whole bunch of glass bottles, I just want to have like a box where I'm going to have a glass every other night mm-hmm. or every, or uh, it's still getting again, like I'll probably finish this bottle of uh, Pinot tonight, but that's, that's five glass tips. So, but if I anticipate having somebody come over, I don't want to have to keep opening bottle after bottle. And for five glasses, I can get, I can get 20 glasses for the same price as five. If I get this and it's not a bad, it's just not, you know, you're yeah. like what you're saying. It's not the experience of the other one, and it's not as quite as high caliber. It is. It, it, you're right. It is a little bit sweeter. The Merlot, I don't care for a lot. Too sweet for me. But, mm-hmm. um, but I've tried a lot of those black box. I have tried some of the cabs from some of the other box wine companies, and yep. occasionally they're good, and occasionally they're really bad. Yep. But this, but you know, black box was kind of my my number one introduction, and then I think my secondary introduction was the uh, freak show. Cabernet Sauvignon, which I think you and I, I think, think I started buying those between, you know, it was the second time you moved. So the second time you moved and then we're coming back for a visit, I bought a couple of bottles of those because I didn't know what to do. I went down to our, you know, local grape and gourmet over there on General Booth Boulevard and just asked the wine guy and said, look, I, I, I don't know anything about wine. I know that my friend, he's coming in town. He likes cabs. What's a good cab? That's under twenty dollars, mm-hmm. and he directed me to that freak show, which we've done a review of that for uh, Tasting Anarchy. You can read that over at tastinganarchy.com, or if you go look in uh, our Twitter history at Tasting Anarchy on Twitter, um, you can see my review of Freak Show. And it is it's a it's a good wine uh, here in Texas. It's cheaper than in Virginia because our taxes are a lot yeah. lower. Um, nice. So yeah, so it's it's uh, like fifteen fifty a bottle, um, and it's from Lodi, California, um, and uh, it's just, it's just a good wine, but like all of the, all of like my wine adventures and stuff like that, all the branches that come off, it's the, comes off the tree of when you and I live together. Like those, those couple of years that you and I were in the Betsy Ross house were really formative years for me. Um, and I think, I mean, I'm sure they were for you too. Cause I think we were oh, just, yeah. we were just that age. Uh, but since, you know, Mason and I have been doing this show those years, I didn't realize until like now that I'm in my thirties, like the perspective <laughs> on those years has changed a lot. And those were incredibly formative years for him as well. Like, mm-hmm. and he considered you and me living in the Betsy Ross house the hub of like activity. Whereas, like, it, yeah, and it was for our friend circle for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, we've because well, we're both sociable guys and you know, good looking fellas. Yeah, people yeah, like to yeah. hang out with us. That's true. And you know, the house was always open for you know, it was a def- it was definitely a libertarian house. So if you wanted to come smoke weed, it was available. If you wanted to, you know, smoke black magic, <laughs> it was available. <laughs> yeah. If you wanted, you know, actually later on, I, I think actually you were gone by the time that like I was smoking a lot of DMT, but like, you know, later on, like if you, if you wanted DMT, like that was, you could go there. Uh, the very first same place. Yep. Same place. And, um, the very first night or the very, maybe not the first night, but the first party we had there. And by party, I mean you, me, and Mason. Mason <laughs> let me know that he's like, "Look, I got this friend. He's gonna start a mushroom grow." And <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what we were drunk on, but we were all drunk. And like, I whip out your rent money, and I'm like, "But you, but you, but you, but you." Which I gave him earlier that day. I was like, "Here's the cash for the rent." Right. Awesome. Cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is like, I made enough money that. 
uh, I don't remember if it was you or the other Nate, but like the, one of you guys like occasionally would be late on rent and like, it wasn't that, that big was, of a yeah. deal. I think it was the other Nate. I think you always made it, yeah. but the other, but like, uh, and actually then, then Matt lived with me for free for like months and months and months <laughs> and months. And then, and then eventually he, I don't remember if I told you this, he came back and gave me rent like years later. I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. I think you told me about that. I like uh, Matt was, Matt's a good guy. He's good a really good guy. Yeah, yeah, he is. A, he's a cool guy and just a really, just a really smart, interesting, yeah, quirky, but very, very fun to be around. Uh, again, from the Libertarian meeting. And, um, yeah, yep. So, like, that was just kind of the sort of like the, the crux of our existence. And I, and I just think it's super interesting. Like, you know, I feel like I almost should like write a book about the Betsy Ross case. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, title. yeah, yeah, the, the Betsy Ross house. Cause it was, it was like a, a crux of a lot of activity for your life, my life, Mason's life, uh, you know, a lot of other people who have come and gone, you know, out of our lives for several years. Mason's wife, who she used to come over all the time. She was married the first time and then, mm-hmm. you know, and now she's married to Mason and, uh, you know, Jess came over, you know, everybody, all, all sorts of people like, you know, Rick Caldwell came over occasionally, London, Seth, uh, mm-hmm. all your karate friends, uh, tons of people, very, very eclectic group, very, very interesting thing. And I just think it's, I, I think that, you know, the show owes a lot to that time of life. I guess the time period, I mean, we celebrated your 21st birthday. Oh, yeah. We're pretty up close in, to, well, and, up, up in, and, up in, in Virginia Warren. or North Virginia. Yeah. And, and one thing that I wanted, I kind of wanted to point out too. And one of the things that uh, I don't want to say I have a problem with, but we were, you know, at, you know, we're talking about how we had. Um, different drugs in the house and stuff like mm-hmm. that. We were still very responsible adults, and we created a good demeanor with our neighbors. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, we yeah. we kept the house looking nice. Mm-hmm. We you know we were out chatted, and you know I find that that is really important if you're going to be a drug user and you're even in your own house, especially yeah. part. Oh, definitely. To yeah. make sure that you have that good demeanor with your neighbors because that's that's when things go wrong. Is you know that na- next door neighbor has just had it and they're going to call you on it. Oh yeah. Uh, well, especially, you know, so, I mean, like for the amount of, of weed that we smoked out in the garage, like there's just no way no, that people couldn't smell it. But right. like we were good friends with Mike across the street and then the guy next door, his name was Cliff or Ryan, can't remember which, but yeah, I can't remember either. yeah the, the tow truck guy. Um, mm-hmm. and like both those guys we were pretty, pretty good, pretty talkative with. And then the, then you had a friend down the street, but we also, the landscaper guy who was caddy corner to ours in the townhouses. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, I can't remember his name either, but he was really nice and he was a pothead. So he, he didn't care, but, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's definitely the thing. And that's kind of a, uh, you know, I guess we'll, I'll get into this just briefly is that that's sort of a, of one of the things that like a lot of libertarians, particularly the libertarians that follow Mary Ruart on uh, a lot of her writings, she recently came out with a book called, uh, uh, regulate, you know, regulation, regulating us to death or something like that. But her, her, you know, very famous book is Healing Our World. And she talks about this is that, and I think Rothbard also talks about this, um, that if you, if you have a neighbor and when the government's involved, uh, most people's natural reaction is anytime they have a problem with their neighbor is that they'll call the police. Mm-hmm. And that escalates to the conflict to a, point where it's going to be very difficult at that point to heal my hostile. Yeah. It's very hostile and it's going to be hard to heal the, the gap. Whereas if you, you know, let's say that you're, let's say that it's not drug related at all. Let's say it's loud music. And, and this is ha- this happened with tow truck guy a couple of times. Cause they would have late night parties too is, you know, tow truck guys having a party. He's got loud music. I've got to get up for work in the morning and they're, you know, on a, on like a Monday night partying until midnight. And so at 10 o'clock, 
I, I just go in the backyard, look over the fence and say, I think his name was Cliff. So I'd say, Cliff. And he'd be like, oh, hey, hey, what's up, Jake? And I'd say, hey, can you guys just turn it down a little bit? I got work in the morning um, and it's 10 o'clock, so I got to go to bed. And every time, no problem, no problem. Turns down the music, I go to bed, I have a good night's sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, there's, I could have done something different. And in, in, and a lot of statists, like a lot of people who just believe that they're, the government is there to make it so that they don't have to talk to their neighbors, they would call the police and put in a noise. Now, it's very, right. it's going to be very clear to Cliff who's putting in the noise complaint. It's going to be me because, you know, I guess it could have been, it could be one of five people. But if, he, if he's, you know, he's was in the neighborhood far longer than we are, oh, chances yeah. are he knows the neighbors yes. better, you know, better than we would know. Right. So, so in one scenario, I can escalate the situation and, and pull in the police and, and the police, you know, as you know, the service that the police provide, I want, I just don't want the government to provide that service. But the, <laughs> but what you're doing is you're calling in armed individuals to solve a problem really in, in almost every search, you know, sometimes, you know, your neighbors get jerk and that maybe, mm-hmm. you do, maybe you do need to escalate it. But in 99% of the situation, just knocking on your neighbor's door and just saying, Hey, can you turn it down? Most people understand what's going on. And and don't realize they're being that's that's what it is. They right. just need a reminder. Right. They're just having fun. They're drinking. Yeah. They, they're, they don't. You they know, don't. To them, you know. It's probably still eight o'clock. <laughs> right. Exactly. And they don't. They don't have work tomorrow or something like that. Or even if they do have work tomorrow, they work a different type of job. Uh, and so this is kind of like this libertarian. What Mary Ruard always says is, uh, and it's a Christian principle, is the is the good neighbor policy. So it's like what says you know love your neighbor as yourself. I don't want the police called on me. I would rather, if somebody had a problem with me, come and talk to me about oh, yeah. it, and then we'll resolve it. And you and I, you know, we were doing stuff that was illegal, and, I, and I'm pretty sure all our neighbors knew, and because we had a pretty good relationship with them, although I don't, I don't think I knew our backyard neighbors, but— um, Yeah, not so much. I think maybe I, I waved to him once in a while, but I don't think I knew that. I don't. I don't. Well, and sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's not a big invested effort. Sometimes, you know, when you walk out of the house and you see him, just smile and wave. Yeah. If you walk out of the house, see him every time, turn your head down and get into your car as fast as possible, they're going to be like, okay, that guy. Yeah, he's shady or he's a jerk. That Right. And, and, and one of the things, too, like kind of to build on, one of the concepts that I was listening to was uh, – change the story you tell yourself. So all the time when something happens, like somebody cuts you off, you have a story that went on your head of why that jerk just cut you off and you want to flick them off, you, whatever, right? You have this story in your head of like, man, we're just chilling here and they're just being jerks. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the times you can change the story you tell yourself. Right. Because if you get angry at that person, you're never going to see that person again. You're not going to get retribution. You're not going to get any satisfaction about being angry. You're just going to get angry. Right. But if you can change the story, be like, you know what? Maybe maybe they just weren't paying attention. They didn't realize, realize I was here. Right. You know, it calms you down. It creates, you know, change that story. And that's kind of the same thing with the neighbors. Mm-hmm. You know, they're being loud. Don't be like, they know we're sleeping. Right. Maybe they don't because you can't assume that they are thinking like you're exactly and yeah exactly and so that's any of this is what's interesting that you bring that up because this is something victoria and i were talking about earlier this week is um she likes tony robbins a lot the motivational guy and one of the things he says is very similar to that where he says like your internal dialogue so like let's say that you lack motivation uh so he'll say like instead of saying like what's wrong with me why can't i get motivated is he says change the question that you're asking yourself change it to what can I do to make myself more motivated? Because right. it sort of it just reframes the situation and makes it more of a motivational situation. And I was thinking about that a lot the last couple of days. So there's this guy 
uh, and he's been in the news the last few days, uh, Cody Wilson, who is, um, he's a crypto anarchist and he, uh, is, he developed the, the liberator, um, which is a, a single shot 3d printed gun. Mm. And, um, and he put it online and the government obviously, you know, right away they like basically sued him and said, pull it down. He pulled it down. But by that time, the, the plans for the, the 3d printed gun had been, you know, distributed, oh, yeah. circulated. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was too, it was too late. And you know, it's been five or six years, I think, since they started the whole lawsuit, and he decided to fight it. And um, he's, you know, been tied up in court, and it cost I think almost half a half a million dollars to fight it. But uh, the the government settled with him and basically admitted that there's just nothing they can um, right. So and so he can now he can start putting his plans up online. And I was listening to an interview with him about it, and he was like, "Look," he says, "You can." You can spend your life, you know, shaking your fists at the government and going like, they're doing this to me, they're doing this to me. Or you can take the WikiLeaks approach or the Bitcoin approach or in now in now in his case, the defense distributed approach. And you can ask yourself, well, how do I make how do I change the equation? Uh, how do I make them irrelevant in this situation? And that's almost what he did is he, he said, look, the technology is still not there yet. You know, you can, you can print, you can print 90% of a, of a handgun that shoots one time. You can print like, you know, 80% of a AR 15 or a, a replica M six, you know, M 16 or whatever, you know, he's got several different guns that you can do that you can either print with a 3d printer or partially print with a 3d printer. And then, the metal parts you can mill and then you have mm. to then certain parts you do have to buy but he says look i've we've we've kind of changed the equation here and he says the the equation now is it's no longer a argument about gun control anymore he says that's that's no longer on the table you cannot control technology and uh and what we've done is we've gone ahead and bypassed the centralized method of purchasing weapons so he says now if you've got the uh the correct equipment at home you can print an ar-15 and and I think they did they they had an estimate that there was like fifteen hundred printed uh, AR-15s in Manhattan, one of the most heavily gun controlled areas in the country. And and, mm. he said, and he says this is this is the future, I guess, of the you know liberty movement or of anarchy in general is is instead of asking yourself like instead of allowing them to be, I guess put you in a box and you operate in their rules is you reinvent this. and he and you know the government excuse me the government is slow and. They don't adapt well to changing situations and young people and people who know about technology and, uh, you know, just the general populace are fast. Like, I mean, you know, think about you and me, like I'm in, I'm 31, you're 29, 29. So, so you and I are young, but you and I both remember when there was no internet or at least the, the internet existed, but we didn't have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but like, so think of how quickly our lives have changed. Now, my grandma uses the internet occasionally, but you know, she's 95 and it's difficult for her. It's, 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 a, it's a hard thing to adapt, but like only what, six or seven years, seven, I guess eight years ago, iPhones came out and now we can't really imagine our lives without iPhones. We adapted to them so quickly or, or smartphones in general. We adapted to them so quick. I guess it was, no, I guess what, 2007 well, or 2008, I, whatever it was. But as soon as I got a smartphone, it became impossible to live without the smartphone and, right. or not impossible, but it, we just became so used to it. So we adapted so quickly, but I don't know if you recall this, but like in like thousands, uh, there was all of that stuff about like the, the congressman's blackberries hacked or stuff. And it was just, they're like 90 year old congressmen with blackberries. That's why they're getting yeah. hacked. Looking at porn. Yeah, they can't adapt. But like that's, I think, the movement in general is like people figure out how to get around this. So like one of the, you know, kind of to go this back to, back to wine a little bit, one of the big things, the wine industry that's, that's being a big problem is, uh, 
you know, Virginia winemakers are doing are part of this, and a couple of other winemakers are part of this. Is they want to put in basically they're like interstate tariffs on they're not even tariffs. It's like trade blocks. So they don't want like so a lot of the Virginia winemakers who are getting involved in this or their organizations who are getting involved in this are basically going like we don't want California wines to be shipped to Virginia or we want them to be really expensive so that mm. so that Virginia wines have a competitive advantage. Uh, what they what they're not taking into account is that people outside of Virginia drink Virginian wines. You're you know, right. Yourself included. Yeah. So it's a backfire. So like, and they're just not yeah, taking I, it into I, account. Like, perfect example. I get my shipment of wine from Virginia uh, right. every quarter. Yeah. And that's $200 or so that they get revenue from me outside yep. of Virginia. Yeah. And, and so in, in these types of cases, you know, they don't really think about it, but the government comes in, they make these, you know, these blocks that make it very difficult broad, to do it. Broad swipes. Yeah. So how do you – so the idea would be in, in thinking in you know the Cody Wilson terms or the, the how do you reframe it, how do you rethink it, instead of thinking, well, the government is blocking me from getting these wines that I want, is you think in kind of the entrepreneurial way. What can I do to make it so that I can facilitate me getting the wines that I want and the people around me trying the wines that I love? And, and so you kind of change the narrative, and instead of you know working with the government, you come up – you figure it out. And I don't know what the get solution is. Yeah, you get a buddy to ship it to you or whatever. I don't know what the solution is right now, but that's the kind of thinking that I guess like in the age of, you know, crypto anarchy or whatever is like, how do we do this? And, uh, I don't know. That's just kind of a thought. I thought it was interesting that you brought it up because like, so I got one last question for you, Nate. So dun, 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 dun. It's actually just the last one on my list and then we can, <laughs> we can, we can shoot the shit some more or we can, or we can interview. Um, I still got some more wine. Yeah, I've got a ton left. But uh, so you moved, you moved up for the audience. You moved up to Illinois, and or over, you, or over, I guess, over and up. Same, uh, same, same. right? Uh, and it's which is, I guess, you're near Springfield. Um, this never occurred to me until like I was thinking about this call. But do they have any wine growing in Illinois? They do. Um, I actually am kind of disappointed in myself that I have not gone to any of them. But by the same token, um, when I've seen them at farmers markets and stuff like that, they've just been way too sweet for me. Oh, okay. Uh, but I, I also don't really have a big circle. Like none of my friends drink wine. Okay, interesting. Uh, most of the people that I'm with out here are micro. Uh, micro okay. They like beer. They um, and microbrews are popping up all over the country. Right. And it's happening here. We have you know three or four right within the town, and um, I love seeing that. I'd love to see some more wineries popping up, and that's kind of why Virginia is a hot spot right now. Mm-hmm. Between where I was in Virginia, our south, and then going up like Leesburg and um, into the, the, the D.C. suburbs. Yeah. There are so many wineries. Yeah. So many. And there's so many good. Well, that's what, you know, that's one of the things Mason and I started doing research for this show is that, like, Virginia wines are world class. Yep. And people don't realize that, like, Virginia wines and Virginia cider, apparently, is also world class. But, mm. but people don't realize that, like, that region, you know, from, I mean, actually, even down into, even down into, I guess, I guess, southeastern Virginia, where we live too wet, it didn't have the drainage that you need for grapevines. But, uh, but you and I grew some pretty good grapevines in our backyard. They just weren't, oh, yeah. They just weren't wine grapes. Uh, but that whole, <laughs> The whole valley there going, you know, DC area all the way down into North Carolina is just oh, grapes love it. Uh, yeah, they love it. And it's, and it's such an interesting microclimate. And, uh, what was the winery that was it Green Hill that you and I went to with your dad? Uh, yeah. Um, outside of, um, 
Middleburg. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that winery is what introduced me to my new, probably my favorite varietal now is Cabernet Franc. Oh yeah, my well, and, absolute and, and, favorite. You know, I remember not even that, maybe even a year ago. Like the only the only wine you could really stomach was uh, sweet blueberry wine or blackberry. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that, yeah, that black the blackberry wine from uh, Chateau Le Cabin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Ch- Chateau Le Cab, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, which is actually it's it, that is a Virginia grower. They do those sweet fruit wines for people who don't like. And right. that was a good inter- yeah. And that was, it was the only one I could stomach. And it's so interesting how much my palate changed, just like kind of opening it up. And that Cabernet Franc was just right up my alley. And now that's like a ninety dollar a bottle wine. Uh, but you and I had did the wine tasting medley, which I think was like forty bucks, four wines or five wines. I want to say that it was it's probably closer to twenty or thirty. Uh, usually, okay. usually a lot of the tastings aren't more than twenty bucks. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I don't recall exactly how much it was though. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's a lot nicer. Like going to a winery, you bring some friends, and you know it's easy to toss in for. Because that, that's one of the problems about going to – well, I don't want to know about problems, but one of the hesitations for some people is that you're paying minimum 20 bucks for a bottle of wine. Oh, minimum. yeah, yeah. Yeah, for a good one. And, um, you know, the nice thing is you can taste them before you buy the bottle. Right, right. Um, and actually one of the things I like about Rappahannock is that if you want to buy a case – and this is actually one of the best deals in the region for cases – you get 50% off. Wow, that is so a good you're, deal. So you're still paying $200, but you get all 12, you know, 12 wines that would probably be closer to 300 if you got from other places. Wow, okay. Well, that is a good deal. So uh, up in that region, that's where you're – your stomping grounds were. Um, what are some of the what are, What are some of the better wineries that if our visitor or our listeners are in that area that they could visit? So I really like Rappahannock. Um, Delaplane is got some really nice stuff as well. Um, Barrel Oak. Some people are hit and miss with Barrel Oak. Now Barrel Oak is also kind of the gateway of that region because it's right next to the highway. It's massive on the weekends there is at least four separate bars that are open inside outside that is doing tasting okay um about dogs they allow children and they constantly have dog events adoption events they have musicians out there so it's one of the kind of places that you would go on a friday night and you just kind of chill out listen to the music and make friends um, some of the other wineries are more, you go in for the tasting, it's a little quieter, you sit down and you talk with your little group on, you know, a nice sofa. And that's kind of the experience you have at some of these other wineries. Um, but then there's another one that my mom just switched to that. I can't remember the name. I think it's closer to Leesburg. Um, and you, you can, you, so like basically the way that it works with a lot of these is that you like, you can buy a membership basically by buying a certain amount of wine. So you can, what I'm, what I have is I'm a, uh, a, a, I guess a, a lot of the places do like barrel mem- members and, okay. um, well, at least barrel oak had some barrel members and you can get wine shipments. You can own a barrel where after they use it, you actually get the barrel, Okay, which is kind of cool. It's a little bit more of an investment, but they do events for barrel owners where, um, you know, they'll get to taste, you know, some Rappahannock has a concept of the black label Mm. and, um, that is only to their, their club members. And when you go to that winery, there's also a whole section that's only for club members that you can sit down at a couch on a table at a table and get a wine tasting there versus, you know, sitting at a, um, or standing at a, at a counter. Okay. 
Um, so a lot of these wineries have these little clubs and, you know, include shipping. And essentially, you know, I pay like, I can't remember if I do like a yearly to be part of the club and then I do subsequent shipments or if you simply are subscribing to the shipments and you're a club member. Okay. Um, I can't recall 100% at this point. I just pay the money and get my good wine. So I'm right, happy right. with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, um, I'm sure when you go back there, you guys can visit and that sort of thing. Well, and that's a nice thing is, is also a lot of times when you're a member, um, you, so Rappahannock, you can either, um, you personally can either get a free tasting or you get a free glass of wine every time you show up. Okay. And a lot of times with club members, um, you can even get some free tastings for friends that you want to bring. Um, you can get discount on friends that you bring. And like I said, you know, if you, you want to get that 50% off the case, you have to be a member. I, well, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh-huh. I haven't read the bylaws in a while. <laughs> okay. But there's a lot of perks, you know, if you find a wine or find yourself going out there, you know, once a month, a couple times a month, bringing friends, you know, it's really worth getting um, getting those little memberships. Um, it kind of gives you a little, VI, you know, you kind of feel a little more special like you're a VIP. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that makes sense. One of the biggest things, though, that I liked working at the winery, uh, Barrel Oak, and especially was so popular, was um, actually just the, the, the quality of friends I made. And right. as a younger person, I, I tended to hang out with a lot of older people anyways, but especially at the winery, um, there were people that came every Friday and they brought a dinner and anybody, you know, any of their friends could eat and any of the wine tasters that were friends with them could come over and have a bite with them. And so it was just really nice that, you know, after you got off work, you could you just go kind of pick almost a random group of people and you could instantly be friends with everyone because you're like, yeah, you know, I just got off my shift and like, oh, my gosh, welcome, come over here, come over here, you know, here, have a glass, have a glass. And, and you know, so it's just a, it's a really, in my opinion, it's probably one of the best jobs you can get in your early 20s um, right. just for the social aspect. You Sometimes you can make tips. Um and obviously, you get free wine. So that's yeah. Uh, I mean, that does sound pretty. That sounds pretty cool. But and you, but you said you haven't you haven't really gone to any in in, in the Illinois area. Yeah, and you know that actually that was going to be one of my goals this year was to try to get out and tour some of them. But okay. um, a lot of the times it's hard if you're just by yourself because uh, you know there's nobody to drive you home. Yeah, that's true, <laughs> and and it's kind of boring. Like you know, you it just, is. You're just yeah. going and because there there is a social aspect to wine, and there is a chance you know probably. I would say a little bit more than like if you went to a bar that, um, you know, if you went by yourself and you saw somebody just starting a tasting or something, you could kind of just, just say, not hey. necessarily engage them right, but you can like, yeah. you can do your taste right next to them. And then you just start like little pieces of conversation. And a lot of times right. long, you know, if you're talking about wine to start off like, Hey, did you guys like that wine? Oh yeah. You know, right. you can, you can, you know, start a connection and have to make a friend and yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Like that would be a kind of a, a good a good conversation starter. There's not there's not really a lot of wineries around here either. There's there's a couple of wineries but not vineyards. So there there I think oh, there's okay. I think there's one or two vineyards around here. Um, you know, maybe forty five or fifty minutes away. And because uh, I mean, like this is Dallas. It's a city, and it's pretty right. much it's pretty much the city for a long time. But there's like weird pop. Like today, I was dri- when I went down to Total Wine. Like I was driving through the city, and then like I drove by this house that had horses. So like mm. it's it's weird like there are like random aspects I guess of the country uh and uh, so that I think that's kind of interesting but I one of the things I'd like to do when Victoria gets back and or maybe when you come down and visit is drive out to Texas Hill Country cuz that's where the Texas wines are and Texas okay. and Texas actually is the first recorded winery in the in what is now the United States um was here in Texas mm. uh started by a Spanish 
a Spanish mission. It makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. It, it's one of those things that you don't really think about because, like, I don't really think about wine text. Right. Um, and, and from what I understand, they they are they're not really like huge on the wine scene. Like they have the wineries, people go to the wineries and they're, and you know, uh, total wine over there has a Texas section. Um, I've had a couple of them. They're all right. Uh, but it's not like not the prestige of California and not the quality of Virginia. So, mm. uh, so I think that's interesting. It's also like this time of year, I, people just don't want to be outside. Like it's that makes hot sense. and, uh, yeah. But, you know, as soon as the sun goes down, like where we live in Uptown, as soon as the sun goes down, there's people out all over the place going to restaurants, going to bars, that sort of thing. So maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are maybe at night like those wineries open up or just out a lot. Well, and one thing interesting, too, is I think in order for you to say that a wine came from somewhere, yeah, I believe you have to have I think it's only like 60 percent of grapes from that state. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, it's either 60 or like 75. I can't recall off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Virginia, so at least some of the places, and they would order a few grapes from um, from like California or something like that. Or, okay. And, you know, the one I worked at was a vineyard as well. So they got, um, I think they said they got maybe like 50% grapes from their property. And then there's certain vineyards that actually just grow grapes for the local wineries um, right. that they get some from. And then they'll get some from like California, especially some of the ones like, um, oh, petite men saying and stuff like that, that just doesn't really, right. they don't really have prevalent in Virginia. Um, so they'll grab some of those for the blends right? Um, in order to just make some nicer wines. Um, so that's, that's always something kind of interesting yeah, that as is well. Interesting. Yeah, that is. So I, I know like Mason and I tried a couple episodes back. Uh, I don't think we've had petite men, men saying we had a petite petite. Uh, mm. and that was interesting. Um, and it was a blend. I think it was a petite, petite and a petite Syrah. Mix yeah, petite blend. Syrah. And, um, so that was kind of an interesting, interesting combination. I, I wasn't super crazy about it, but it was by the same people from Lodi that make uh, freak show. Um, uh, and so that's why we tried it. It was, it, it was interesting. Ooh. It wasn't terrible. So one wine that doesn't get heard of very often, and this is kind of a good, in my opinion, kind of a great gateway to uh, the heavier reds, mm-hmm. um, is actually a Nort grape. Okay. Norton, and which is, Norton, I thought Nortons were, isn't that, isn't that what they use for grape juice usually? Is it dark purple grape? It is a dark purple, but I don't think they make it for, they don't necessarily use, that's, um, oh, I'm blanking on the name, Concord oh, is Concord. typically okay. what they use. Yeah. But the Norton grape kind of has an interesting history as well, where um, during Prohibition, they actually um, rem- uh, a monastery outside of Virginia. I'm trying to remember what state it was. Um, maybe like Indiana or something. There was a monastery that had, during Prohibition they took out all the wine, all the all the the vines. Yeah. Um, and so they went to. Uh, there was actually a monastery that took some of the grapes and preserved them in their own vineyard, and the government couldn't touch them because religious reasons yeah um and so they were able to actually preserve that grape and then they've since brought it back to virginia um and it's bleeding over into some other states as well um but it is a naturally fruity flavor where it it just tastes more it tastes sweet when there's in fact less sugar interesting okay so it's kind of a like i said it's kind of a nice gateway because you'll taste and you're like man this tastes sweet but it'll be like zero percent sugar wow okay that's, that's very um, interesting. Just because of the nice berry flavors. And um, I think probably places might use more blends. Um, probably pretty rare to find a uh, 100% Norton. I know that uh, Barrel Oak did for a while if they don't steal it now. Uh-huh. But that was actually a, a red that I really enjoyed. It, um, 
you know, in the evening, stuff like that, when you want something that's just, a, you know, after dinner or something that's a, just a little bit more fruity and you're just kind of enjoying. And um, so that was that was an interesting grape that a little known grape, at least. OK, well, that's a That's, I think, a good a good note to end on because um, I got to take the dog out for a walk and she's starting to scratch at the door. Uh, so she's probably got to pee. Uh <laughs> I guess I'll, let me do the plugs real quick for Tasting Anarchy. So you, you, if you want, you can email us at tastinganarchy at gmail.com or you can visit our website at uh, tastinganarchy.com or you can tweet me at tastinganarchy.com. Uh, Nate, if you come down here, would you like to do a in-person episode? Oh, for sure. Would you like to do an in-person episode at a winery? Uh, I mean, our apples sometimes green <laughs> yes they are so i think what we should do is uh you know in maybe this fall if you get a chance to come down here when it's maybe when it's cooled off a little bit because they're pretty get cheap some cheese platters yeah you don't cheese want the platters. cheese to melt before you can eat it that's you know? true because like right now like you could go grill a cheese sandwich out on the sidewalk but uh <laughs> they, like right now it's hot but you know if you in a month or two if you want to come down and visit victoria and me would be happy to have you and also will be sitting there trying to like plant ideas in your head to move to Dallas. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and the weather will be nice. So will be like, isn't the weather nice? Yeah. Like I said, find me a woman and I'll go anywhere. All right. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a city. It's a, well, the Metroplex is 7 million people. So you've about 50% of them are women. So you got your pick of 3.5. Definitely a better uh, ratio than uh, corn country. Okay. Well, I think that's a great, a great place to end. Uh, I'll stop you up tonight. I'll talk to everybody. Have a good evening. Yes. Have a, Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Horton sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willis Den. He wasn't selling for an American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for the other day. Wine, wine for the other day. Wine, wine for the other day. Wine, pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel. Have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Somebody's fifth and somebody's poor. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine for the other day. Wine, wine for the other day. Wine, wine for the other day.